how do you deal with the dilemma of flying and adventure? When I reflect on the state of the planet, I feel a mixture of sadness and anger, plus a sense of how tiny and ineffective I am to do anything about it. We have wrecked our home. But there is now an increasing demand for change and the beginnings of individual and collective action. So there is room for hope in my heart as well. Nobody reading this book is unaware that air travel is bad for the environment. Only climate change deniers would argue against the correlation between human behaviour, such as taking flights, and our planet's critical position. All this was not common knowledge or cause for much mainstream concern until relatively recently. I cannot remember the first time I boarded a plane and thought to myself, I'm really excited about visiting this place. It's a shame that my visit is contributing to destroying it. But it was undoubtedly more recently than I'm comfortable with. It is an inconvenient truth that those of us who love exploring wild places are generally in the top swathe of individuals causing the most harm to the world. I've always loved flying off to new places. I love the departure board to airports. I love taking off and leaving the drab, familiar world behind. I love looking out of the window for hours at expanses of delicious landscapes or ocean. I love the blast of hot air and new smells when you step out of the plane into a new land. Wanderlust has been a constant throughout my adult life, but the connection between flying and my attitude to climate change has shifted through several stages in recent years. First of all, ignorance. Flying off to Tamil Nadu marks me as a curious lover of the world. Ignoring. I have learned that flying to New York is harmful, but I've always been desperate to visit and I cannot wait. Oh well, adventure's my job. I have to fly. More beer, please. Guilt. This is really dumb for me to be flying all the way to Hong Kong in business class just to give a talk about the joys of simple living and human-powered travel, even though it's exciting, well-paid and good for my ego. Guilt plus offsetting. I really do want to visit my friend living in a cabin on a Swedish island, so I'll make sure to plant loads of trees to offset my emissions after flying there. Action. I need to decline all invitations for work that require flying unless the circumstances are exceptional. I can take the train to talks in Europe or trips to the Alps. I know that I could do more, such as pledging to go flight-free entirely, but I can't quite yet make my working self promise that I will never step on a plane again. I will offset my flights, and if I do ever fly for work, I will donate 50% of my fee to environmental organisations. I hope that this results in more good than harm coming from my actions. As the round-the-world sailor Bernard Mortessier said, if you wind up making more than enough for your reasonable needs, you can always spend part of it on things that don't hurt anyone, like planting trees. And finally, action plus discussion. This chapter is a small step towards not only changing my behaviour, but also inviting others who love travel to consider their actions and impact. I don't know what number you are at on this list, but I challenge you to read The Uninhabitable Earth and There Is No Planet B to calculate your personal footprint and then not feel moved to step up a number or two. 
I have three main problems regarding my adventures and flying. I face a moral conflict in that flying harms the natural world I cherish. I face a personal dilemma because I'd love to visit New Zealand and Antarctica. And what difference will it honestly make if little old me doesn't hop on a plane there? I face a professional conundrum because my career would be more successful if I flew to more awesome places. I think there are three acceptable answers to these problems. If an action causes harm, I should stop doing it. If I'm not part of the solution, then I'm part of the problem. The cop-out excuse of being too small to make a difference is perhaps what some random school kid might have chewed over on the day she first decided to skip school in order to protest outside the government buildings in Stockholm. Instead, Greta decided to act. What are my priorities? What is enough? What is success? Just 1% of the world's population is responsible for half of aviation's emissions. Those of us in that group are doing far more than our fair share of damage. Yet, it's also true that flying makes up only 2.5% of the global carbon emissions that need reducing to zero as soon as possible. A mere 100 companies are responsible for 71% of global carbon emissions. They are the gargantuan problem, not you or me taking an important flight. In some ways, it's like worrying about drinking from a plastic straw, what journalist George Monbiot calls MCBs, micro-consumerist bollocks, irrelevant distractions that make us feel better but only distract from the real problems. Slashing the billions of tonnes of carbon emitted each year to zero must be the responsibility of big business, innovation and government action, with us individuals holding them to account through our actions and our voting. Of course, flying is not the only way that we harm the planet. We do so every day through our diet, lifestyle, the plastic, steel and concrete we use, the stuff we buy and cars we drive, the energy in our homes, having kids and making voting choices. The words I'm typing, the words I wrote for this book are stored in a fluffy sounding cloud that is actually an energy guzzling warehouse full of whirring hard drives. I'm sipping a coffee whose environmental impact somewhat sours the taste when I think of it and writing this book on a mineral-rich laptop that will end up in landfill one day. It is certainly easier for me to reconcile not flying when I already have a memory bag stuffed with the sounds of the call to prayer in Jeddah, the humidity of a night train in Pakistan, the arctic swirl of northern lights, or the kerosene lamps and star-filled blackness of a night in a mountain village in Bolivia or Lesotho. I've already travelled a lot and damaged a lot. It's not very fair for me to fill enthusiastic young adventurers with a sense of fliegscham or flight shame. To them, I must apologise for my ignorance and then my later indifference. But moving forwards, we need to act together. The future is in all our hands either with solutions or with big problems. So I'm not writing this to deter anyone who is excited about a rare big adventure or a cherished holiday. Events like this are a red herring distraction from the need for lasting change in humankind's behaviour. Bear in mind the carbon to reward ratio of your flight by all means. It's better to fly somewhere and then stay for a long time rather than hop on a short haul flight for a weekend break 
with a poor carbon to reward ratio. I would like to challenge those of us who claim to be both working adventurers and a lover of the landscapes we play in to formulate conscious conclusions between our actions, the signals we send and the impact on the environment. Adventurers like me often justify the hypocrisy of damaging the wild places we love by resorting to David Attenborough's argument that no one will protect what they don't care about and no one will care about what they have never experienced. There is truth to that, certainly. I came to feel guilty about flying once I learned about the fragility of the places I'd come to treasure. It's comparable to the overview effect experienced by astronauts looking back at Earth and appreciating its vulnerability and value. Since beginning to explore the single map that I live on, I've already written twice to my MP about local environmental issues that my meanderings have raised concerns about. I have an audience that reads what I write. I know that the most significant way I can make an impact is by encouraging people to ask themselves questions. And I'm trying to make you care right now. But how can I do this without preaching or being a hypocrite? Positive solutions such as local micro-adventures are more effective and less annoying than proselytising from a position of imperfection. I prefer to promote all the adventures you can do rather than chuntering about what you shouldn't do. So, how can I make matters better through my writing? Can I do more than just sing the praises of local, low-impact adventures? I'm aware that the online platform I've built has the potential to generate more positive action than the small amount of harm I avert by not stepping onto an aeroplane. Answers on a postcard, please. I would love to travel more widely, but my frustration at not flying decreases over time as I discover how exciting it feels to travel to the Alps by train, watching out of the window for the first glimpse of mountains and snow. My favourite way of beginning an adventure is sitting with a friend, a map and a beer in the buffet car of the Caledonian sleeper train as it pulls slowly out of Euston Station, bound for the Scottish Highlands. Travelling to talks in Paris or Amsterdam by Eurostar is far preferable to the grim experience of airports, and not significantly slower than flying either. But it is still much more expensive than flying, which is ludicrous and needs to be remedied ASAP, perhaps through carbon taxes, VAT on airline tickets, aviation fuel taxes and a punishment for frequent flyers. Ideally, the environmental cost of the journey ought to be reflected in the price of the ticket. Adventure does not have to depend on flying. My favourite Everest story is of Joran Krop setting off from his home in Sweden to cycle to Everest and then climb the world's highest mountain. The biggest adventure of my life was a magic carpet ride around our planet by bicycles and boats. I visited Ethiopia, Ecuador, Seattle and Samarkand without needing to fly. You need a heck of a lot more time, yes, but you do not necessarily need a plane to get there. A significant transformative experience in my adventuring life was walking a lap of London and learning to look differently at the landscape I lived in. Forcing constraints onto adventures almost always makes them more interesting. 
One of my richest travel experiences was the world tour of Yorkshire I took by bicycle. Flying's not only terrible for the environment and our conscience, but it also consumes a significant percentage of your adventure budget and, for short trips, a painful proportion of your time away. You often end up wasting a whole day of your trip at each end. So instead, I spent a month exploring the back roads and bridleways of the county I grew up in, chatting to folk along the way about what living adventurously meant to them. It was an experiment to compare the feeling of crossing continents with crossing a county. I knew more about cycling in the Yukon than I did about cycling in Yorkshire. Yet Yorkshire is where I grew up and where I still consider to be home. Could I find adventures so close to home? Could I discover anything new and feel like I was actually exploring? Could a small place satisfy my curiosity and wanderlust in the way that far-off lands have always done? Yes, yes, and yes again. It was a fantastic experience. We have so much to gain from adventuring in a sustainable, sensitive way. It certainly need not be a compromise. When deciding to spend a whole month cycling only in Yorkshire, my biggest concern had been that even God's own county might not be sufficiently varied to keep me interested for that much time. Yet, if you can persuade yourself to travel slowly and with curiosity, more and more is revealed to you. I found myself wishing that I had far more time to spend on this journey through what I had anticipated would be familiar scenes in one small corner of my small country, tucked away in one small corner of a small continent on a small planet in a small solar system. The world is like a fractal. You get one impression by looking at the whole. Zoom in though, and you can glean a comparable wisdom. There are similar experiences and lessons wherever you choose to seek them. The closer you peer, the more there is to see. There are, for example, 8,000 rivers in the UK. Do I honestly need any more than that? Such abundance, such scope for adventure on my doorstep. If I cycled every street in London, it would, in its own way, be as fascinating a journey as cycling an equivalent 10,000 miles from my front door to Asia and back. There is a short running film on YouTube that encapsulates beautifully the rewards of exploring locally and thoroughly. Of Fells and Hills encapsulates many of my thoughts about life, adventure and the sense of belonging that comes from localness. One line in the film says, there's a point where we're trying to see more and more throughout our lives and it just ends up getting diluted. I've learned to relish embracing the constraints that not flying imposes on choosing adventures. It has focused my mindset of exploring closer to home. I'm very much learning to agree with the closing line of that small film. In the end... I think that a single mountain range is exploration enough for an entire lifetime. Quick question. How can you balance adventure in your own country with sustainability? There is such poor transport access to the countryside. Stay local. Don't geotag or visit hotspots and lobby the government for improved affordable rail travel. The bicycle carriages appearing on a few Scottish trains is a good start.